Uh, this morning we're going to begin with a, a pretty, I, I want to begin with a pretty heavy question for you. Um, as you might have noticed from our bulletins, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're getting into some pretty heavy, weighty territory this morning together. I want to ask you, have you ever felt like God forgot you? Maybe you lost someone very close to you. Maybe they chose to leave you. Maybe you've been hurt significantly in your life. Your trust has been broken. Maybe Maybe you long to have someone close to you in the first place, a spouse that God has not supplied, a child that God has not provided. Maybe, maybe some of our young people, our students, just failed an exam that you needed to pass in order to graduate on time. Maybe uh, you live with a chronic infirmity or illness, mental illness, depression, anxiety, addiction. Maybe you've prayed the same prayer for years now for God to relent, for God to deliver you. Like the Apostle Paul prayed in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but it didn't. And maybe your demons haven't left either. Maybe you've prayed for the deliverance of a loved one, for their salvation, Someone close to you who you've prayed for to come to know Jesus for years and years, and they haven't. It feels like your prayers fall on deaf ears. Whatever the cause in your life, I suspect that we've all gone through those moments in life when we've been tempted to feel like God has forgotten about us. What do we do in those moments? And, and what do all those moments have in common? All those moments have something in common. When do we tend to feel like we've been forgotten? Is it when life is all giggles and rainbows? No, it's when we're suffering. We, f- we feel forgotten when we suffer, right? It felt like God forgot me when my father left my family. In middle school, it felt like God forgot me when my marriage and my faith were in shambles at the end of divinity school. Felt like God had forgotten me when I lost my job at Culver. We're three months pregnant, evicted from our home, no job, no health insurance. God, have you forgotten us? This morning is our final full-length installment in our Advent series, The Weary World Rejoices, in which we're examining these various contributing factors to weariness, to our our weariness, our tiredness, our exhaustion. Why was the world so weary when Jesus appeared on the scene that first Christmas day? Why is it so weary still today as we await his return? And more importantly, how can such a world possibly rejoice in the midst of it? And we've seen these past four Sundays now that waiting makes us weary, monotony makes us weary, toil makes us weary, but all of that pales in comparison this morning to suffering and its unparalleled ability to make us weary, tired, exhausted, ready to throw in the towel and give up. That's exactly how the prophet Isaiah had foretold here in chapter 40 for this morning, that the Israelites were going to feel 
during their coming exile in Babylon. Isaiah is writing around the year 700 BC, over a century before the Babylonian exile. The uh, Babylonians sacked Jerusalem and took the remaining Judeans into captivity, but the horrors of their suffering had been predicted almost a thousand years beforehand when God gave the law to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. God had warned his people, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, and they didn't for nearly a thousand years, the Israelite people did not. They ignored God and his law. Then he had warned them, all these curses shall come upon you. Your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. There shall be no one to frighten them away. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. You shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. He'll put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring, bring a nation against you. That's Babylon. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord has given you in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you. The most tender and refined woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she's so delicate and tender, will begrudge to the husband she embraces, to her son and to her daughter, her afterbirth that comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears because lacking everything, she will eat them secretly in the siege and the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in your towns. If you're not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glory and awesome, glorious and awesome name. The Lord your God will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting until you're destroyed. That's what God had promised them. A thousand years prior, in gruesomely accurate detail, the siege of Jerusalem. And Isaiah, this morning in chapter 40, is prophetically penning the words that we're about to read for those people who were taken into exile, who survived that horrific day. And he's going to say, it would have been better for you, in a sense, had you just passed away on that day with the others in battle because exile is just long, drawn-out suffering, but... Here's his message of hope for them. He says, it's going to feel like God has forgotten about you, but he hasn't. God has not forgotten about you in your suffering. Isaiah will go on to reassure them in chapter 49, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. God says, a mom might even forget her nursing baby before I will forget you, O Israel. And so Isaiah offers us this morning three core truths about suffering and about the joy that we can find in the midst of it as followers of Jesus. 
And you may ask yourself, what does any of this have to do with Christmas, with the birth of our Savior, who we're supposed to be celebrating these, these last five days of, of the Christmas season together? I think the answer is this. All three of Isaiah's points here about suffering center around one overarching theme, and that is that Christ's incarnation is God's proof that he has not forgotten us in our suffering. Isaiah promised that God has not forgotten us in our suffering. In Christ's incarnation, Jesus' taking on flesh is the proof of that. Jesus, Isaiah's prophesied, child who would be born of a virgin, who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 7, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace, whose kingdom of righteousness and justice will have no end. That Jesus, his birth, proved that God has not forgotten about his people's suffering. On the contrary, God entered into our suffering, ultimately to redeem us from it. That's where we're headed. And so would you stand with me one more time as you're able this morning? Stand and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. It's a short passage, just Five verses, verses 27 through 31. As I say every week, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to gift you one of those as well at the info bar. Hear the word of the Lord. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, as always, for your word, your good word, your hope-filled word of encouragement to weary people like us this morning. Father, I'm, I'm sure that there are many of us here this morning who are weary, weary of suffering. And we still today can relate to that sentiment expressed here by the Israelites. God, have you forgotten us? Father, we, we all fight that kind of thinking from time to time in our hurts and our pain. I pray that you would use your word this morning, the truth of your word, of what you've already done for us in the incarnation of your son Jesus and sending him into this weary world for 
us for our sake. Pray that you would use that as well as his promise to return for us, to fill us with hope, to encourage weary souls this morning for our edification. And Father, for your glory, most of all, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Point number one this morning from Isaiah chapter 40 is we may grow weary from our suffering. We may grow weary from our suffering. We do grow weary from suffering. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. It's very upfront about the reality of suffering. Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Isaiah, remember, is writing in the prophetic future tense here. He's anticipating these words on the mouths of the Judeans who would be taken into exile over a hundred years later in the sixth century BC. God, why have you forgotten about us? God, our, our rights are disregarded. God, don't I at least have the right to life, to live? Just, just let me be. That was Job's prayer, the book of Job. God, just, just ignore me. Just leave me alone and, and just let me be. Let me just live without your affliction. It feels like I'm languishing away here. You're purposely punishing me, afflicting me. And he was for these Israelites. Verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. God declares, listen, on that day, under the suffering that is coming for you, Israel, even your youths are going to faint and grow weary. Even, even the youth, right? When you're young, you think you're invincible. Anybody remember those days? When I was in high school, our youth pastor, uh, our, our youth group used to take mission trips to Guatemala to serve at a children's home there. One of my youth pastor's most strategic moves was capitalizing on teenage boys perceived inexhaustibility and their pride. And so he, what he would do is he would put four or five uh, of us guys who were the most competitive all in the same work group on the same work project. And then he would make sure to put the prettiest high school girl and the whole group in, in the same uh, project. And then he'd just watch the magic unfold, right? Because if, if you think your teenage son likes to sleep a lot during a pandemic with virtual school and uh, during Christmas break with nothing to wake up for, right? No reason to get up out of bed. You just send him to Guatemala to do hard manual labor for a week straight with his high school crush watching. And I promise by the time he gets back, you can sit on his head. He's not going to wake up. Because even youths will grow faint and weary. None of us is inexhaustible or, uh, or what was the other word I used? Um, invincible? Yeah. We grow weary. We grow faint. Nothing makes us weary like suffering. I don't know if you've ever suffered so much, been so sad for so long that you felt like you'd run a marathon. Like it's all intertwined, right? Our psychological, emotional, spiritual, physical, like your body feels weary. I haven't even moved a muscle all day. I was too depressed to even get out of bed. 
I feel like I've run a marathon. I'm utterly exhausted. The Bible is filled with descriptions of folks just like that who can empathize with that. King Hezekiah, just two chapters earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah 38, he suffered from a terminal illness and exclaimed, like a swallow or a crane, I chirp, I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. God, I'm I'm looking up all day long waiting for you to relent, like either fix me or, or just kill me, like put me out of my misery. Oh Lord, I am oppressed. Baruch, the prophet Jeremiah's trusted friend and scribe, wrote, woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. Like, it's not enough. I'm just in pain. He's adding, heaping sorrow upon my pain. I'm weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. God's people collectively express their weariness and their suffering in the book of Lamentations. It's a whole book named after it, you know, purely devoted to that purpose, l- lamenting. In the Old Testament, our pursuers, they said, are at our necks. We are, what? Weary. We are given no rest. And as I already alluded to, most famous of all, suffering, poor, suffering, Job, who who essentially and exhaustedly declared, God, I would be better off dead. Please kill me. Put me out of my misery. Job said, at least in death, at least in Sheol, there the wicked cease from troubling, and there the what? Weary are at rest. Suffering makes us weary like nothing else. And maybe some of you here this morning are weary with suffering. Maybe you feel like you've been in pain for so long that God must have forgotten about you. And I just want to assure you this morning, It is okay to have those feelings, to express those feelings, to pour your hearts out to God. That is a biblical thing. You do not have to try and dress it up for church this morning, to try and pretend this morning. God knows that he has not tried to hide it from us in his word. Suffering is about as biblical an idea as you can find. There are 2,334 pages in my Bible. 2,332 of them are filled with suffering. Right? Like there's a page at the beginning about how God made everything good and perfect and beautiful and, and awesome before we screwed it up. And there's a page at the end. Spoiler alert, point number three for this morning when he promises to wipe away every tear from every eye, but for 2,332 pages in between, it's suffering. To be human is to suffer. Jesus knew this better than anyone else. He knew exactly what he was doing when he decided to take on flesh in Mary's womb. The incarnation, literally the enfleshment of the eternal second person of the Trinity. Scripture says he did it for the very purpose of suffering. I came to suffer for you. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men, in fleshment, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, as if humbling himself to the point of bearing splinters in a manger weren't enough. He humbled himself to bear the splinters of the cross as well. For you and for me. First Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for sins. First Peter 4.1, Christ suffered in the flesh, in his incarnation. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men a man full of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And Isaiah goes on to prophesy in that same chapter that Jesus, God's suffering servant, wouldn't just be afflicted by men, despised and rejected by men, he would be smitten by God himself. He he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus endured the most excruciating suffering of all, friends. Separation from God, the Father, as he bore the full weight of your sin, my sin, on that cross. But, but, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, Isaiah says, we are healed. You can be healed this morning, friend, of your most life-threatening suffering of all because of Christ's wounds. The pain of your enslavement to sin. That is true suffering. Sin is suffering. Jesus died to set you free from it. He was pierced for your transgressions, for your sins. He was crushed for your iniquities. And his chastisement, his punishment, his paying the punishment that was rightfully owed to you and to me because of our sins, Jesus' suffering has now brought us, bought us healing. Peace, Isaiah says. He brought us peace reconciliation, restored, right relationship with God our Father, the creator and lover of your soul. That can be yours today if you will but trust in Jesus. Repent of your sins, give your life to him, and you can discover joy in the midst of your suffering, the joy of peace, peace for your eternal spiritual suffering under the weight of your sin, can be gone. But make no mistake, Jesus does not promise us a life free from all suffering, at least not in this life. Jesus, quite the opposite, said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross, Luke 9. He said, in this world you will have trouble, John 16. Suffering, hardship, God has not promised to insulate us from suffering, friends, from weariness. No, what he has promised us instead, point number two, is that he will sustain us in our suffering. 
God sustains us in our suffering. That's verses 28 and 29. Isaiah relays God's promise to those same weary Israelites. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Isaiah says, listen, take heart. You may grow weary, but your God doesn't. He does not faint or grow weary. He is the everlasting God. He is invincible. He's inexhaustible. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Things seen and unseen. He created, and so he's more than qualified to handle whatever struggle you are facing in your life right now. And God has promised to do just that. Not to safeguard you against all suffering, but to sustain you through it. Not to protect you from ever facing trials, but to preserve you in them. Not to bail you out from hardship, but to buoy you in the midst of it. He gives power, Isaiah says, to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength, sustaining strength. And the Psalms are filled with weary laments of suffering, but they are equally filled with God's promises of sustaining, delivering strength in the midst of it. Psalm 6, one of the more Famous one, Psalm 6, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? How long? That's, that's, that's how it feels when you're in the midst of it, right? Have you forgotten me? How long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who, who will give you praise? I am what? Weary. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. But, but, in every one of these paths, there's always a but to biblical suffering. But the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. The psalmist says, God, God sees me. He hears me. And most importantly, he is here with me in my hurt and my pain. Psalm 69, he cries out again, save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am what? Weary with my crying out. Suffering makes us weary. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. But then the psalmist turns and preaches hope to his weary soul. But you who seek the Lord, let your hearts Revive, for the Lord hears the needy. He does not despise his own people who are prisoners. God will save Zion. 
That's why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul can describe himself this way. He says, I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 6. We have a hard time making sense of that verse today, don't we? Like if, if you look up the word sorrowful in the English dictionary, it's defined as sad. Then if you flip over, flip back, and look up rejoice, it means to be happy, to be glad. So which is it, Paul? Are you sad or are you happy? Are you sorrowful or are you rejoicing? Joyful. I really appreciate John Piper's rather personal exposition of this verse. Piper shares, my mother was killed in a bus accident in Israel in 1974. I was 28 years old. My brother-in-law called me and told me that my mother was dead and my father was seriously injured and might not make it. That's all he knew. He would keep me posted. I hung up the phone. I went in the bedroom. I knelt by the bed and I wept for a long time. And in my weeping, Piper says, in my weeping, simultaneously, not sequentially, in it, I was rejoicing. The weeping was owing, of course, to the overwhelming pain of sorrow and loss, the massive loss I felt of one whom I so, so cherished. But the joy was this. Thank you, God, that I had such an amazing mom. Thank you that you gave her to me for 28 years. Thank you that evidently she didn't suffer very much. Thank you that she is in heaven and not in hell. Thank you for countless kindnesses that she's shown me growing up. Thank you that my father is still alive. Please save him. Thank you that I will see my mom again. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us and covering her sin and my sin and my father's sin for every sweet memory that tumbled to my mind made tears flow more and joy tastes even sweeter. And so Piper concludes, it's not stupid double talk to say sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That is simultaneous reality. I've tasted it. And friends, if you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, I suspect that you've tasted it too. The joy of God's sustaining strength in your weakness. That's how the Apostle Paul puts it in the rest of his thorn in the flesh passage from 2 Corinthians 12. He says, I will boast all the more gladly, joyfully, gladly, of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's power and his presence rests on us in a different kind of way in our suffering, doesn't it? We, we, we draw closest to the Lord in our suffering, out of necessity. And we don't just draw closer to him. He draws closer to us as well. Psalm 34, 18 promises that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's not just some abstract, intangible, empty mystical sentiment in Matthew 1 
Verse 23, the angel of God came announcing to Mary and Joseph, you're going to call this child's name Emmanuel because he will be God with us. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ's incarnation, friends, was the proof not only that God was willing to endure suffering for our sake, but that he came to draw near to those of us who were already suffering. Jesus didn't just suffer for us, he suffers with us. We have a suffering God who understands the very worst of it and entered into it anyway for us. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, Jesus was tempted as we are yet without sin. And because Jesus was not only fully God, he was God with us, he was the Word incarnate, but he was also fully human. Jesus got hungry, Matthew 4, 2, imagine that. But he never got hangry. He, ne he never snapped and sinfully took it out on, on others around him when he was hungry. Speaking of weariness, John 4, 6 says G Jesus wearied from his journey, but he, he didn't take it out on the woman at the well because he was in every respect tempted as we are yet without sin and that means that you and I too can trust 1 Corinthians ten thirteen that no temptation Paul says has overtaken you that is not common to man God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it see God doesn't just preserve us in our suffering. More importantly, he preserves our faith through it. God has promised to provide a way for us to escape the temptations, to doubt, to, to fall away, to give in to those feelings of, of God's forgetting me. So I'm going to reject him and sinfully forsake the Lord. God can and will protect us, preserve us sustain us against those temptations so much so that Paul has the audacity in Romans 5 to claim therefore we rejoice in our sufferings we rejoice in suffering because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame why because point number three, last point, our hope lies in God's promised coming redemption of all our suffering. That's where our hope lies, in God's promise of redemption for all of our suffering. Verse 31 of Isaiah 40, God promised to do far more than just sustain his people, these weary Israelites. He assured them those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God doesn't say run and, and take breaks from getting tired. He doesn't say they're going to be able <clears throat> to walk a really long way before they faint. No, he says you'll run and never grow weary. You'll walk and never faint. The vision here is one of a fully restored future redemption from all weariness, from all suffering. 
That's exactly what God promises us in his word. Jeremiah 31, 25, God promises, I will satisfy the weary soul. In every languishing soul, I will replenish. Psalm 35, God's anger is but for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but his joy comes with the morning. Psalm 126, 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Yes, Jesus does offer us his sustaining power to see us through life's hardships, but he offers us so much more than that, so much more. He also offers us his saving power to actually redeem those sufferings. Redeem means to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good, to bring, as Isaiah will say later at the end of, of his prophecy, to bring beauty from ashes. That's redemption, beauty from ashes. Because friends, if the incarnation was proof that God was willing to enter into our suffering, to be with us in it, and if Jesus' crucifixion has the power not just to sustain us, but to actually save us from the very worst of our suffering, from the power of sin and hell and death and separation from God, then the most joyful news of all, you want joy amidst suffering, here it is. It is in understanding the magnitude and the meaning of Christ's resurrection. Not just his incarnation, not just his crucifixion, but his resurrection. Once again, God's promise to redeem our suffering, to turn our tears into shouts of joy. It's not just empty hope, empty words and promises. God has proven the power of his promise by raising Jesus from the dead. And if God can take even the very worst evil, the worst suffering that this world has ever known, the horrific death, of the perfect, sinless Son of God and redeem that, turn that, use that for good, for the greatest good that the world has ever known. The salvation of all mankind in his death and resurrection, then God can take even the worst of your suffering, of your suffering, of your suffering, of my suffering, and redeem it and use it for good as well. God can and will make good on his promise to work all things together for our good if you belong to him. Even the death of that loved one, even your divorce, even your struggling marriage, suffering under the weight of crippling debt and job instability, even your, your childhood abuse, even your terminal cancer. Listen, don't let the, the shiny West County veneer fool you. Don't let the fancy clothes this morning fool you. Right? We are not immune to suffering here at West Hills. Some of you right now have or are in the middle of experiencing the very worst of it this morning. And it is true that Jesus has promised us in this world you will have suffering. He didn't sugarcoat it. 
But he also promised, take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's his resurrection. And for everyone who is in him, in Christ this morning, the Bible says, if we have been united with him in a death like his, Romans 6, we shall also certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his as well. He is and will one day finally fully raise us to new life in him as well. The redemption of all your suffering. Listen, you may not experience it in this life. This is not prosperity, health and wealth, teaching this morning, Sow your seed of faith and God promises in this life. God does not promise you anything in this life other than hardship and suffering. You may not experience it in this life. You won't experience it fully in this life. Praise God, because if this is as good as it gets, who's excited for heaven, right? God's word exhorts us to rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings so that you may also one day rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed fully. The Bible says, now we see in part, one day we're going to see in full. Until that day, we hold fast to the promise of God that this light and momentary affliction is but preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen here in this world are transient they're fleeting they're passing away jesus said this whole world is passing away but the things that are unseen are eternal the incarnation is god's reminder his tangible proof that he has not forgotten about you and your suffering friends and one day he has promised that he really will Come again and wipe away every tear from every eye. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will have passed away. And until that day, friends, you can rest in the assurance that God sees your pain. He knows your pain because he tasted the very worst of it for your sake on the cross. And yet, he sustains you and will keep you until he returns or calls you home. Amen.